I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to speak to you this morning on the Lord on leadership. Now, in chapter 5, Peter closes his letter to the Christ followers going to church who are going to church to get help from each other because they are being forced to live life in a society that does not value the Jesus that they follow. And so in closing, Peter turns to the subject of leadership on behalf of the Lord and he instructs the groups within the church that are necessary to make it work in the church because the whole premise of Peter's teaching has been that we need each other. We need the regular gathering together in order to strengthen each other, especially when life is so hard and is giving us trials. And so, for the leadership, for the church to be strong, obviously, Peter needs to address the leadership. And that's what he does here in chapter 5. There is a principle, the world says, that everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, to a certain extent, I think Peter backs that up in his teaching here. But Peter introduces in his teachings on leadership the concept of grace that the world cannot comprehend. And so Peter closes chapter 4 by saying the judgment of God is coming upon the world and it's going to begin with the household of God. And by that he means that God is going to hold his own to a higher standard. He holds his own children like a father does his own children to a higher standard. And so Peter is going to now say that if God is going to hold his people to a higher standard, then he is going to hold the leaders of his people to the highest standard of all. You know Christianity in general terms is all about learning things that are going to require us to change and to keep changing no matter how old we get. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Well, that's true for Jesus, but I actually don't want it to be true for me. I want there to be growth. I don't want to be the same guy that I was 30 years ago, not as a pastor, not as a, not as a husband, not as a, a father in the home. And so Christianity is all about, at its very core, at its very essence, helping us to identify the ways that we are not like Jesus individually and what we need to do to change, to transform into the image of Jesus Christ. Leadership is one of those things that will call you to change from what the world has taught you and maybe even from the way that you have learned growing up in your home. Now today's text specifically refers to the leadership of the elders in the church, meaning your pastors. And so you could use that as a report card to your three pastors right now, to the pastors you've ever had, to the, ever, the pastors you ever will have. Peter speaks directly to the pastors in the church. But Peter is also going to speak to everybody who is the recipient in the church of their leadership. After all, what's the point of a leader if there's nobody to lead? Uh, right? And so I want to suggest that in each category of leadership talked about in this text, to pastors and to the younger people who receive that leadership, I suggest to you 
that the principles that we are going to see today are not just written for pastors, but they are written for everybody, to all those who lead and to all those who are going to be led. I think that pretty much covers everybody. In other words, these are not just words to pastors. They are words to principals and parents and teachers and mentors of every kind who mentor in the Church of Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. And in terms of recipients, I would suggest that these principles don't just apply to younger people listening to the pastor's uh, uh, leadership or following his teachings, but to children, to students, to teens, in fact, to all adults who receive the ministry of someone else's leadership in the church in the name of Jesus. So these principles given to pastors and the recipients who follow their leadership, they are for all Christ followers in the church. And you can apply them to all the wide variety of situations, of life situations, of leadership situations that we face here within the church. Hence the title of this sermon, The Lord on Leadership. These are principles for everybody. Let's read what God inspires Peter to teach about leading and being led. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. And so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so even though the first section is specifically to pastors, let's title it to leaders, all leaders in the church. And even though the second section is specifically to younger people receiving the pastor's leadership, let's title it to those receiving leadership in the church. And so what I'm getting at it, I've already said, is that the principles herein apply to everybody. And one way or another, everybody here today in the church. So we begin with the next slide. So we begin with leaders in the church. I mentioned that both the world and Peter agree on the importance of leadership. Now, what they differ in is that in the church, the gospel is to be the foundation of those who practice leadership here in the body of Christ. And Peter does this by sandwiching. He differentiates what the world teaches to, what, to the leadership that he teaches within the church. Peter differentiates that by sandwiching the life of a Christian leader between his identity in Christ and his reward from Christ. So as a Christian leader, knowing who I am in Christ and knowing that I will see Jesus, that completely informs and transforms my style of leadership. And so when Peter says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness 
of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I want you to note how Peter establishes in this verse the cross as the foundation from which all Christian leadership theory is going to emerge. Jesus taught that leadership in the world was about a constant fighting for who has the power. Look at our two political parties in Congress as an example. Look at our uh, president as an example. Jesus taught that leadership in the church would be wholly, completely different. Built upon the foundation of the gospel, Christian leadership within the church would be about those who serve others. Leadership would be about serving others. Malcolm Forbes, and by the way, to illustrate that, what does Jesus do? Jesus, our ultimate example. Jesus, our ultimate leader and savior. What does he do to illustrate what I just said? He picks up a towel and washes the feet, the dirty feet of his disciples in order to serve them in the most humble manner possible. Malcolm Forbes, the founder of the rich Forbes financial empire, once said about life, he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, Pastor Ben Lamphere graduated from a Christian college. Uh, Kyle taught on faculty there, whose president was uh, well known for playing off that phrase. And instead of saying, he who dies with the most toys wins, he said, he who dies with the dirtiest towel wins. And so when Ben graduated and others like him, not only are they handed a diploma from this school, they are each handed a towel as a reminder that this is what a Christian leader does. Powerful statement. Peter is teaching that the gospel changes everything. It is completely going to change how you view your parents. It is going to completely change how you view dating, how you find a mate. It is going to change your view of marriage. It is going to change your view of family. It is going to completely change your view of how you raise children. And it is now going to change your view of leadership. How you exercise leadership when you are given the privilege of exerting your personal influence upon others. And the suffering of Christ on the cross, Peter says, is now meant to be, just as he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ on the cross, he means for you and I individually, personally, to be a personal eyewitness by the eyes of faith, through the eyes of faith, of the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Peter says he wants us to be transformed by that image, by that personal experience that we have as we encounter Jesus Christ on the cross in terms of our leadership. I want to point out that when Peter says he was a witness to Christ's sufferings, at the moment that he was witnessing Jesus' Jesus's sufferings, I want to point out that at that moment in time, Peter is a total failure in terms of leadership. At that moment in time, when Jesus is dying on the cross, Peter is denying that he ever knew Jesus. Peter, at this point in time, is an absolute failure when it comes to leadership. Enter grace. 
Enter grace. Always at the time when we need it the most. Especially at the time when we consider ourselves or find ourselves to be a personal failure in terms of our faith. Enter grace. Enter God's grace who gives us a gift of faith to repent of sin and to believe God's promise that all who turn from sin and turn to Jesus Christ as their sin-bearing Savior and Lord will be saved even if they don't deserve it. Enter God's grace that picks Peter up from his failure and makes him an apostle and one of the foremost leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. Enter God's grace for not giving any of us what we deserve, but instead giving us salvation through our faith in Jesus Christ as we partake of his sufferings on the cross. Now, if you don't know what that means, to be saved, or if you have any questions of what it means to know Jesus personally and experientially as your Savior, as the one who has made it possible for you to be forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future, and to go from a position of being alienated as an enemy of God to being restored and adopted into the family of God, and you see me right after the service, please, let's make an appointment to talk. Let me at least give you a booklet on the real Jesus so that you can take with you. But make sure that you see me. So Peter, we see here, Peter was not just saved by grace. Peter was completely transformed by the grace of God. And Peter's transformed leadership explains that gospel-centered leadership serves others in the church, others that Jesus died to save in order to become his witnesses to the world. And so, Peter follow, uh, follows in verses 2 and 3 with specific instances of what leadership in Christ's church is to be and what it is not to be. Look at verses 2 and 3. Peter tells us that leaders' ministry in Christ's church was not because you must, but because you are willing. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve others. Not dominating others, but rather being an example to others. So I want you to picture some 50-year-old pastor who is trapped because he went into the ministry not by the calling of God, but because he felt like his parents wanted him to do it. Now at age 50, he would rather be doing anything else but what he's doing, but he's just not trained to do anything else, and so he's stuck. He is unwilling. Picture a pastor more concerned with the material buildings of the church as a measure of his personal success than he is in building the body of Christ spiritually. He is greedy. Picture a pastor who is threatened by the success of other pastors in the church or who won't delegate to others because he fears for his own job security or who demands that everyone obey him without question because he sees himself as the New Testament equivalent of the burning bush. All sermons are nothing more than a call to obey the pastor. He's dominating and lording his authority over others. Now, to help us understand leadership God's way, Peter gives us the analogy of the good shepherd. And he uses the good shepherd as Jesus does 
because this is what Israel would be used to seeing. They're an agrarian society. They are used to seeing sheep out there in the field, and they totally get the leadership model of the good shepherd. Now, by way of comparison, the Old Testament tells us that leadership, that Israel suffered because of bad shepherds in their midst. Ezekiel 34, 2, God rebukes the leaders of Israel for being shepherds who feed themselves instead of feeding the flock. Zechariah 11:7. because of all the bad shepherds, God says, and so I became the shepherd of the flock. And then, of course, we have the perfect contrast to that, the perfect shepherd given to us in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in keeping with the shepherd model, Jesus, like Peter, Jesus would tell Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Peter's saying, if you love Jesus, serve the ones he died for. In John's gospel, Jesus depicts himself as the chief shepherd. And so Peter promises that all leaders who lead in Christ's church will be rewarded when Jesus comes. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And so here's the gospel as the foundation of Christian leadership. The gospel says a true shepherd enjoys a first-hand experience of Jesus Christ. A chief shepherd, a shepherd enjoys, a true shepherd enjoys a first-hand knowledge through the eyes of faith of Jesus dying on the cross that he may be saved. And so a true shepherd with a vision of the cross and what Jesus did finds that this is what drives his style of leadership because Jesus gives. Because Jesus gave, you give. Because Jesus suffered, you as a leader in his church, you are willing to partake in Jesus' suffering. Because Jesus sacrificed, you are willing to sacrifice. Because Jesus said he came to serve, you are willing to serve others. And the gospel then informs your style of leadership. The gospel becomes the foundation of your leadership wherever it occurs within the church. Leadership is no longer like you saw out there in the world and learned out there in the world and maybe even experienced at home. Leadership is no longer about personal power. Who's the boss? Who gets to tell everybody else what to do? Leadership is the greater opportunity for service to others after the fashion of Jesus Christ. And to those of us who lead faithfully, Peter says, your reward will come. Your reward for faithful leadership will come when the faithful one returns. And if that's not enough to motivate you as a pastor, as a deacon, as a teacher, or as a mentor, then Peter says you're falling way short of what Jesus wants you to be when he gives you the opportunity to lead others in his church. And so what I'm saying is he died so you could live and lead in a way that glorifies God and witnesses to the world how your personal experience with Christ and his suffering on the cross 
has changed you and has transformed the way that you view leadership. From how you viewed leadership before you came to Jesus to now how you view leadership after Christ has come into your heart. And so what I'm saying to you is this, your identity in Christ, now if you've been transformed by Christ, your identity in Christ now informs your leadership style. Your reward from Christ motivates your leadership style. Now maybe coming into church, maybe before you became a Christian, you considered yourself reasonably well trained as a leader. I know the Marine Corps poured a lot of leadership training into me, one of my favorite subjects in the whole world. Maybe you studied business management in school, maybe you've just gone through training out there and you fancy yourself pretty well informed, pretty well educated as a leader. But let me ask you, have you learned how the gospel is to inform you as a leader? Have you learned how the gospel is, to, is, is a motivator for you to lead after the example of Christ? All I'm saying is this, um, maybe you have learned that well and good. It's a lesson we keep on learning, but maybe you haven't. Maybe this sermon is awakening with you that I need to know more about this. I'm just saying, get up with your favorite pastor. And if Pastor Ben isn't available, I'll go. You know, but uh, my point is, get up with somebody. Talk about your leadership opportunities and talk about how the gospel can inform them, how your experience of Jesus Christ can make you the servant leader that God intends you to be now that he saved you and called you even through your leadership style to be a witness of him to the world. Really, uh, let's get together and let's talk about it if you want to. If you're still in college or in high school and you've got no money, that's okay. I'll buy the coffee. I'll even throw in a Twinkie, okay? But let's get together and let's talk about it. That's why your pastors are here. Let's talk about how does this play out in your life and in the opportunities that you have. And so leadership is meaningless if there's nobody to lead. So next, Peter talks to those receiving leadership in the church. He says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the, uh, the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so this speaks to all who receive a leader's leadership, if you're a Christ follower. What Peter's saying is if you are a Christ follower within the church, then... Your identity in Christ is going to shape how you respond to everything, but how you respond to leadership. Your identity in Christ and the promise of Christ's reward is going to motivate your actions. It's going to motivate your response to leadership, to Christian leadership in your life. And so Peter says to all who follow Christ, like Christ submitted to God the Father, submit to God's leadership in your life. Like Christ humbly washed his disciples' feet and served others, clothe yourself in that same Christ-like humility, willing to serve others. So I belong to LinkedIn, an online network of people interested in management and leadership. Just a couple of days ago, there were a series of articles, and it was questioning the age-old principle, one that I learned in the Marine Corps. It was questioning the age-old principle that if 
You have hope to be a good leader, that you must continuously find a way to stand out above your peers, to stand out above your peers. Imagine if you've been out there any amount of time, you've heard that principle of, uh, of leadership. These articles are challenging that premise that the key to being a good leader later is not simply figuring out a way to stand out among your peers, which sometimes causes people to do things to try to make others look bad so they can stand out and make themselves look good. And what the articles are challenging and saying that maybe as you're young out there where you're working and as you're young in the church, maybe the thing that you really want to focus on in order to be a good leader later is learning how to be a good follower now. now. I think this matches what Peter is saying. The concept of submission is something that we all have to embrace as followers of Jesus Christ. Now look, if the world happens to get this principle out there on LinkedIn, so much the better. But whether they do or whether they don't, you do as a follower of Jesus Christ. The key to having opportunities to lead in the body of Christ later is to learn how to be a follower of Jesus Christ now. One who clothes ourselves, each of us, in humility, like Christ. One who leads not for power, not for position, not for recognition, but for the sheer joy of serving those whom Christ died for. So the trick is, once you learn this, don't forget it. The life lesson, it's not about how you get to the top. It's not about you getting to the top. It's about how you get to the top. And it's not about beating everybody to the top. It's about the person that you are when you get to the top. In the church, it means pastors aren't the top of the food chain with nobody to submit to. It doesn't mean that at all. Peter, by the way, here, is specifically rebuking pastors who think that. Peter is rebuking the imperial pastor, the one who thinks that he's accountable to nobody but God, and that when he speaks, it's the burning bush on everybody to obey him. The text says we are to be submissive one to another because the humility of the Lord demands it. And humility is the gospel response to leadership opportunities when we are given them. Now look, as a husband, I have had to submit to my wife. Or else. No, just kidding. Really. As a husband, I have had to submit to my wife. As a pastor, I have had to submit to other pastors. As a pastor, I have had to submit to deacons. As a pastor, I have had to submit to other church members. Now, sometimes it was because I was just sinfully wrong, and I had to own it and confess it and admit it and change from it. And sometimes it's just because I was factually wrong. Somebody else actually had a better idea than me. You know, uh, sometimes... Uh, the point is that uh, sometimes out there in the world, people view the authority in their life, like where you work, people view the authority in their lives as the enemy. And maybe where you work, 
Your boss is the enemy in your life. But in the household of God here at church, brothers and sisters, it just ought not to be so. It must not be. So why are you smiling at me, Dennis? You, you, you and me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just having a little fun here. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but it, it truly, and it may be that where you work, the boss is the enemy. He actually intimidates, or she intimidates your lifestyle, the way that you want to live in the church. But here at church, it ought not to be so. And that's true of your pastor. That is true of every teacher. That's true of the principals. That's true of the parents. That's true of every single person. You're mentoring one other person uh, in the Lord, you know. Uh, your presence ought not to be the intimidating thing to them. You are there to serve them, clothed in the humility of Jesus Christ. There is mutual respect. There is mutual submission. And there is a recognition that in the church of Jesus Christ, you know what? We are allies together for the cause of Christ. The leaders and those led, they are allies together for the cause of Jesus Christ. And how do we function? There is mutual respect for each other. There is mutual submission to each other. Submission, I touched it before, just to voluntarily order yourself under someone, it's not a statement of inferiority. It's simply an acceptance that you accept God's plan for your life by faith. It's a statement of faith, not a sign of inferiority. And by the way, there are ways in the church that deals with someone who abuses authority. And do you know how Paul teaches that a pastor who abuses his authority and lords his authority over others, how is that pastor supposed to be dealt with by the church? He's to be rebuked publicly before the church. I'm telling you, that's sobering. It's humbling. And it's meant to be. It's meant to be. See if I can wrap this up. Like I said, leaders and those led, we are allies together. Mutual respect and mutual submission. Same is true inside your home as in the church. Let's remember that all of Peter's teachings, they are in the context that Jesus is coming again. And Jesus wants us to live our lives in the light of that truth. Jesus is coming Again, now here's the thing. The world may not be ready for it, but the household of God can be. Congress may not be ready for it, but the leadership of God's church can be. The world may not be ready for it, but Christian parents can be. Christian teens in the home, teachers in the school, students in the school, we can be ready for Jesus when he comes. We can follow his instruction on leadership. We can follow his instruction on being led. And here's the thing. Peter says in verse 5, we not only can follow his instruction. Peter says in verse 5, we must follow his instruction. Why? Because Peter says, if you don't, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And who can live and who can provide Christian leadership apart from grace. And so as a Christian leader in any capacity, we have to stand up in humility. We have to ask others to follow us only in as much as we are following Jesus Christ. 
a leader is doing when he does that. When we stand up in humility, calling people to follow us, even as we follow Jesus Christ, and I want you to know something, that leader is doing exactly what God envisioned him or her to do. That leader is doing exactly what God envisioned for leadership. I want to give a closing thought. As we lead in the church, as we take leadership home to us, as we display leadership before others in the church, as we display leadership to our children at home, as time goes by and people get to know us better, let's pray that our children at church and at home will see that Christian leadership is way more than just being about who the boss is. Okay, let's pray together. And then if we can, I want to show you a two-minute trailer talking about what's coming up on, on uh, Wednesday night. If we can pull that up, I'll show that to you. And then after that, we'll be done. Let's pray together. Father, truly, when we look to you, we see all the inspirational leadership that we could ever need to see. We see in you the love of a heavenly father who never fails. We see in you the love of a heavenly father who loves from within himself, never has a bad day, never takes it out on us. We see the love of a heavenly father who always has open arms for his children, who always seeks to give them what is best in their life, who will work ceaselessly to work in our lives to make us like Jesus. We see in our Savior the example of divine leadership. We see in Jesus your definition of leadership. Now, Lord, the world has a definition, and we need to be delivered from that. We need to be transformed into a new purpose for leadership, to serve. We need to be transformed in a new view of leadership, that, that leadership is the mutual submission. It is the calling of others in the body of Christ to follow us even as we follow Jesus. It is not a position of power. It is a greater position of service. God, we need your grace to transform us into this new view, your view of how you saved us to lead. So God, I pray that you will help us do it. I pray that the pastors here, including me, I pray that every teacher, every principal, every, every uh, mentor in this church, in whatever capacity, I pray for every parent. I pray for the older siblings who exercise influence on the younger ones. I pray that you will help us see that when we are serving those that Jesus died to save, we are most like Jesus. Help us to be mutually submissive to one another, mutually respectful of one another. And as the world comes in and sees leadership here, may they see the power and glory of Jesus in our lives. And as we take leadership home with us, may our children not just see who the boss is, but see Jesus in us. I pray this in Jesus' name.